right, everybody, we are back for episode numero nine of the of the On the Cast podcast, and we are here today, obviously, with our lovely host, myself, Mitch. But the main one I was talking about was actually Dill. I did Dill- get excited at the start. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'll take that. Now, our lovely host is definitely Dill. Compliment. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Mitch? So this is a species. Honestly, we were not going to really touch on it too much because every other podcast, every other social media person, profile, whatever you want, has plundered this little fish to death. And well, we, well, I wouldn't say overly little. <laughs> you can't overdo it. We we love this fish. Everyone loves this fish. And we get asked about it a lot. So here we are today talking about the... We are talking about the Murray Cod. So obviously not that little of a fish all the time. It can get quite large, as everybody probably already knows because of the millions of podcasts and everything else that are out there. But like Dill said, you guys wanted it. So we're going to talk about what we know best, and that is small water and generally speaking, more so clear water Murray cod. One of obviously, like we said, one like one of our favorite fish. We love it every single time the season rolls around. We get around it and we smash it throughout like December because it's generally the better time. But yeah, we just love it. So we're talking about Murray cod. Yeah, How good. It's great. First two, the last couple of years, I guess both of us have really got into this fish, and I guess it's the first week of December normally where absolutely frothing to get out of it out of melbourne out of geelong and head up north onto the rivers and chase this species i think it's the past two seasons the close season has been very very wet so we've had belated starts but nonetheless getting out there getting on it and hopefully this this season we've got perfect flows clear water and lots of hungry cod yeah well, well who knows like it's like you said we've had a few blown out seasons the last few years going by so it could be very much the same again especially with how this year's already been shaping up so we really don't know what to expect come december 1st all i know is that dylan and i definitely aren't making it out on the 1st of december most likely going to be hitting the water on the 2nd of december second best the second best oh yeah two two is yeah two is good company that's for sure anyway Um, before we get into it just remember smash the subscribe button if you haven't already find us on the socials and i will just note today normally we do love talking about the science the first time we go chatting about a new species today we're going to sort of skip on it purely because one it's late at night while we're recording this but two they're is a lot more important science coming up in further podcasts in regards to cod like me and mitch we thought when we start talking about lake cod, because it's sort of more so out of their, let's say, natural habitat, we thought that's when we're going to really talk about this species in depth with a bit more sciencey jargon and cool little facts. Like obviously the science does apply to the river itself as well in terms yeah. of river flows and where they move and moving up and breeding and all that sort of stuff. But obviously the breeding is basically irrelevant in terms of river stuff because you can't fish for them in rivers. So realistically, yeah, realistically is only applicable to lakes, the sciencey stuff in terms of the breeding, which makes it obviously super aggressive in winter, in, in those, um, not winter, in those spring months in lakes. But like I said, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So I think that shall mean let's get into the allure of the species for us anglers. 
Well, there's a few very cool factors that make this fish highly appealing for a lot of people and recently very appealing for a lot of people overseas. Like we've seen a massive amount, well, let's let's be honest, pre-COVID, of course, there was a big amount of American dudes coming over who are from the bass scene targeting this species because it is big, it is aggressive, it eats gigantic baits, gigantic lures of all sizes, profiles, can be targeted in many locations, and it's just amazing. It's awesome. Yeah, and I guess when you talk about it like that, so anglers coming from overseas, coming to chase MRE cod, that's predominantly because the lures that we use for Murray cod have come from overseas in the first place. So obviously that's been popularized from the largemouth bass scene. And I've, and I think you could, you couldn't really argue against that. Like obviously we have our Australian made lures as well, which have been, been around for a long time, but realistically our modern techniques have stemmed from largemouth bass. Yeah. Well, you, you look at like, let's say the two, two of the biggest lure, lure mainstream lure brands in Australia, anyway, the mega bass and jackal both coming from the U S and the JDM markets, both influenced by largemouth bass fishing. Yeah. Well, that's exploded on the cod fishery. Yeah. Well, well, America's not the only place that has them. Um, I know that South Africa has largemouth bass and so does Japan has a really extremely healthy population, which is where the, a lot of the development now is coming from is Japan instead of America. Which is awesome. The more the more influences coming from over, like all over the place, the better it gets. And obviously, like like we just said, the influences outside Australia are really shaping up how our fisheries are in Australia too. Yeah, and it's really just highlights ours, and it's making it more appealing for a lot of other people, which is cool for us because the more overseas attention we get, the more input there is into R and D in terms of our little fishing in Australia. We're gonna, and already we're starting to see this with unique designs, unique colours. Little things like, say, even with a lot of your jackal swim baits now, they're coming stock standard with, what is it, owner ST56s, I think. So you're getting good hooks right out of the packet opposed to the little flimsy largemouth hooks you were first getting. And, well, now you can save a few bucks, have a lure that's ready to roll out of the packet. Yeah, you still might have to change the split rings, but they're getting on the right track. Yeah, yeah, they'll get there eventually, that's for sure. But I guess, yeah, we'll talk about the species as a whole. So, Dil, what allures you into Murray cod fishing, especially in the smaller waterways? So, in the small waters, like, to be honest, this is, it's pretty simple for me to sum this up. Explosive, these fish, they're like small waters, normally shallow waters. But you're casting to what you could say is predictable locations, and it's just that anticipation of getting your surface lure or lure to sneak in under the surface absolutely annihilated. And most of the time, this is in clear water and it's very, very visual. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said that. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. So, uh, yeah, I love them. Super aggressive. They they eat top water. They grow big. So you, n- you never know if you're going to encounter a 40-centimetre fish or a 30-centimetre fish which is still going to eat your offerings that a meter fish or a meter 30 fish you're going to eat at the same time. So it's really unpredictable in terms of the size and quality of fish that you're going to catch. But it is, like Dill said, very predictable fishing. So often we'll go out there and we'll just that cast has to get eaten. And it does, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and one or two cranks in the handle later, of course, our surface lure or whatever else we're using gets smashed. So it's really predictable, but I think that's also a great level of excitement as well. Yeah. Another factor I really like is how active it is. So you can do this land-based, but we love it from kayaks. Obviously, we're, me and Mitch are very kayak-focused, and this is a great way to fish for this species. And 
in terms of activity, like being active, you're out there, you're always hopping, getting out of your kayak to drag it over logs and up rapids, everything else. And you're just moving a lot. And it's just a, it's a real adventure style of fishing, whether you're going downstream or upstream, you got to just really sort of think about how you're going to tackle those obstacles, how you're going to get over a log jam or whatever it might be. And you're just constantly just exerting energy. And by the end of the day, you're completely stuffed. But the reward is just catching a couple of the most beautiful looking fish in an absolutely beautiful location. Like these areas are filled with gigantic red gums overhanging the water. You've got cockatoos screeching in your ears all day long. Everything else. Yeah, like I, I know, like Dylan and I generally like to go up for at least, at least two nights, normally three nights, because that way we get a lot of time in the water. But by the end of that, we're done. <laughs> by the end of that, we're done. Like I know that people go out in winter and they go cast the mornings and the evenings and stuff, and it's really cold and it can be a bit of a grind. But the grind in summer in the small water stuff, when you're so active and it's obviously so warm, it's so draining but you get home and you've caught a stack of fish or you've caught even just a few good fish or just good looking fish, but seen some really cool scenery and some really cool eats. It's such a cool fishery. Yeah. And there's plenty of stuff you can do in the downtime. Like we normally plan our trip. So we're camping might not necessarily be right near our spot, but we'll always do it. So they say there's a good swimming hole nearby. So we can in the heat of the day, just go for a swim, enjoy the area. Me and Mitch love sitting at a bakery for two or three hours and smashing pies and vanilla slices. And then after we finish smashing, and then after we finish smashing pies and vanilla slices, off down to a couple of the water, like uh, the yeah. couple of uh, billabong things, and go chase some carp on fly just to fill out the day before we want to go back out in the water for our evening session or something. It's it's just a cool way to fish, and and for a lot of the places as well. When I say we go to like little billabonging sort of things. There's also some really cool carp fishing and also like in a lot of the waterways as well, some really good golden perch stuff as well, which doesn't mean you have to be out early and late either. So it can be quite diverse and diverse in the range of fish that you can catch as well. That's it. Well, I guess that sums up the allure pretty well. So favourite gear and techniques. Like the cool thing about cod is you keep it pretty simple. We're not taking a whole heap of gear. So I'm lure focused. Mitch is fly focused most of the time i have seen him slink in the old bait caster setup from time to time but, yeah, but that was only because i had uh physical rod meltdowns <laughs> literal meltdowns <laughs> yeah literal meltdowns not gonna name names but uh no. you know who you are i'll leave you alone for that one time <laughs> like getting into it like just your standard six foot six bait caster of say a four to eight kilo or anything equivalent, it's pretty much perfect for a clear water situation. So, I like the Miller Rods Pod Freak for just a mid range rod. It's perfect, it's punchy, it's got the balls to rip out good fish, but you can still have enough fun on the smaller ones. And I've just got that match to a Corrado 200. Nothing fancy by all means. If you want to go buy a Ryoga or a Calcutta Conquest, you can, but there's just really no need for this style of fishing. It's pretty basic, it's just screw the dragger down, hook the fish pull it out we're running pretty robust braids so do not go spooling up with the fanciest braid japanese braid you can get because you're just going to trash it so we just run stuff like suffix or power pro even dial or td sensor just those more old school braids that have the like not fused but they've got that really hard coaching on the outside therefore if you're great nova snags of timber you got a lot more resistance Yep. Yeah, I couldn't have summed it up any better. I like even me, I'm not even using the most expensive gear, even though I'd like to, and I'll probably upgrade to a lot of stuff this season in terms of 
bait casting stuff because I'm actually really interested in some of the aspects of bait casting that's coming up into this season. Um, but like for me, I was using like Shimano Raiders and um, the Storm Arashi rods as well. Nothing, nothing expensive. And for the style of fishing as well, it often pays not to have the craziest expensive gear as well because it can be pretty tough kayaking, walking up rivers and stuff. Sometimes you drop them in the sand, you drop them on the, like drop them in the kayak and stuff. You end up putting them through trees and stuff. It can be pretty expensive to go out there with really expensive stuff and scratch it up. Possible busting rods. Um, it's just yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't really need to go all out on it. But if that's your, if that's your thing too, it's going to make the experience really nice as well. Yeah, like it's just important find an outfit. You just got to find that middle balance, like Mitch said. You want something that you can throw all day because at the end of the at, at the end of it, this is a style of fishing where you're exerting a lot of energy, and you do want something that is super light in weight but very comfortable to use. So like swinging around a big seven foot or seven foot six rod all day when you're doing this stuff can get tiring. But like it can also it can also lend itself to some pretty impressive results too. Like if you wanted to go out and just throw swim bait stuff, and I think we Dylan and I might actually do that for a couple of sessions as well. Is just throw some big stuff and see what we can pull out of some some of these smaller waters because yeah. we tend to use smaller stuff. But like it's it, it it there's no real way to skin a cat if you've got just spin gear. Maybe not brim stuff, but if you've got bass stuff or if, or if you've got some like I guess mulloway or snapper gear in the spin yeah. stuff. You're going to get onto fish and you're going to land them as well for the vast majority of the time. Um, you just have to, you might have to go a bit harder. Like we suggest going pretty hard. Like there's no point stuffing around with a few fish. Like you're casting tight to structure all the time. So, no. And like on that note, we are like leader, like we should talk about like weight, weights of lines. So pretty much 30 to 50 pound braid. I just like 50 pound because why not? These, the, Cod aren't the fussiest things in the world. They're not going to spook to the shadow of your line or a big thick leader. So therefore, normally we recommend what thirty to sixty pound. Mitch, I just run pretty much forty pound for all my clear water cod. I literally have one weight line. I'll just take one spool of FC Rock, a really tough, hard wearing fluoro in forty pound. Put yeah. that on my fifty pound braid. Yeah, and well, I'm gonna cut it off until I've got about a foot left pretty much <laughs> yeah well, I'm, I'm full old school so i've got like the old curata 201 like 201 e7s the ec e7 series of the old green bait caster and then i've got the model up from that uh in the next curato as well but i run that with i think i've got power pro on one and i've got black mat there's some old vintage mat um black magic braid black magic what? fiber glide i think what? so yeah, no, that stuff, that is a per for this sort of fishing, perfect. It's basically rope, really. <laughs> you, could put, you could pull it up and down over a cheese grater and the cheese grater will like slice in half. Yeah. So and I and I just run that in 40 pound because honestly, you don't probably you don't really need much more. If you're gonna go chase large lake fish, obviously it's sort of in terms of saving your spinner bait, like not your spinner baits, all your swim baits and stuff when you're casting big swim bait stuff. Yeah, it probably pays to have sixty pound or whatever. Um, in that big, in the bigger stuff, but for the small stuff, you'd get away with easily get away with thirty. You'd probably get away with twenty pound braid, to be honest, for the vast majority of stuff. But it just pays in terms of snagging stuff up. You just snagging your fish, just go for 30, 40, 50. It doesn't really matter that much. That's it. And, and then yeah, leader, leader. I just run forty pound FC rock. Yeah, same as me. Yep. And like a few dudes go heavier, but as I said, I don't think the fish mind. I think I just picked up a spool of forty one day and. That's just what I've been running. Yeah, well, people don't people 
people like Robbie Alexander and stuff, they don't even use leaders. So it doesn't like they're not that they're not that fussy. No, like, you don't. You don't. You, yeah, you just basically you can throw them out in a string and pull them in, and especially with surface stuff, you're going to get fish easy. Like I will recommend best off using a leader, just gives you that bit of protection. But also, even on the, on the lighter fluoros, I have like not so much in the clear water, but I have had cod wear through even like thirty pound before with bigger fish. But that's it, you got to be unlucky. It's normally a fish that's got super raspy teeth. It can just be an individual fish like that. Yeah, I don't tend to think it white matters too much, really. No, I tend to go that hard on a fish anyway that they don't have a chance to <laughs> grate me off. I, they're, they're, <laughs> it's they're, up on the surface within two wines of the handle and a big freaking flip of the rod. And, so. and, I, and I guess that goes back to the allure as well. So, and in a, in a roundabout way, the allure of a fish as well is the hit from Maricot is a hit. It's not necessarily, not necessarily the fight, not a long fight, but the hit can be really, really, like the hit's obviously really like, impl- like explosive, implosive, like, implosive whatever you want whatever you want to call it like their implosion feeds they suck in all the water around their food at the same time so yeah it's <laughs> I i've kind of lost my train of thought there but <laughs> i don't even know where i was going with that anymore implosion but, um, feeder suck in lots of water oh, yeah. lots of splashy splash no you did yeah, fight though endurance not that long so you can just crank them in well with cod it's all about the hit all about the hit if you're expecting a big tug of war, sometimes you might get it, but generally uh, it's just it's just that visual element of seeing that fish eat your lure. It's also cool when you just pitch in a spinner bait or a crank, you're rolling it through and that initial just you feel that suck and that hit and it scares the living shit out of you, but it is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then... so. The- and then lures. We'll talk. Oh, we'll, yeah, we've gone past your lure. Um, now we're up to the lures. So the yeah. lures deal. What sort of stuff do you like throwing? Because obviously you're throwing lures more than I am. So you go, th- go so for I it. Ke- I keep my selection very minimal. A mix of sort of new age and old school. Like a lot of the old school stuff, it's always worked. It's cheap as chips and it always will work. So starting off on your surface element. So there's a lot of... there's. Between me and Mitch, we literally throw pretty much the same lures. So the main one is the Jackal Pompadour that is got a little spinning blade at the front. It's got the wing, the metal wings, small body, imitates a cicada really, really well. And you'll find it's super, super loud. Now, in some really pressured water, this just doesn't do the, ju- do the fish justice because they've seen it, they've heard it, and they're not too used to it. The other good one, which I know Mitch is a big fan of, we sell billions of these down at trellies as well as the old codger crawler, like cheap as chips, similar to the pompadour with the big crawling bib. But this one's more of a, it's got a little, it's more of a jointed bait in the body. So it throws out a nice wake, more of a subtle sound, but like the fluoro green one and what is it, the red head, the red and black one, those are just killers. Yeah. But to be fair, I don't think surface. I don't. Th- when it comes to surface fishing, I don't think color is overly important mm. because it's about that silhouette. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way: nothing in our environment really is chartreuse green or orange. Like maybe a few of the frogs have like few of the frogs we see, maybe. But realistically, nothing that imitates that action is, is that color. So, but I, I, and at night time and the evenings and the low light period, I don't think it really matters that much. Um, if it was during the day, and there's some cool tactics coming out as well with surface during the day where colour might make a bit more of a difference, but really colour on surface doesn't make much 
Not to me yeah. anyway. Like if you're just getting into it, you want to throw surface, those two are really good. Like I've also done a bit, say, getting wake baits and glide baits and fishing them just under the surface, especially on a slow day. That can go well, but I don't know. There's certainly more we can talk about in regards to other techniques. Like you got your crank baits and your divers. Like if, if one of my favorites would have to be the small, the smaller Stormarashis, like anything from like the, I think they do the 25, the 18, the 15, and the 10. I find all of those sizes are great giving the conditions. They're a nice light lure. You can throw them all day. You can cast them super accurately and they're great at avoiding snags. So you can really belt them down deep, get them to skip over rock bars and timber and go through everything else, but they're just a snack size to the fish. The action's great on them. I find most of the times if you put that in the face of a cod, of an active feeding cod, that's not too much that they're just going to think, no, oh, there's a little snack, bang, eat it. And I've had some killer sessions on that lure. It's a cracker. Yeah, I, I haven't used Urashis that much, but having said that, I have used Stumpies, Stumpies a whole lot. So the old stock. Yeah, the size one stump jumper, it's like 12 bucks anywhere. The only thing you need to do is probably upgrade the hooks and then the big ones don't come with a split ring at the front. So you have to put one of those on as well just because it's just makes it's a bit more user-friendly that way. Um, and if you don't tie, if you just tie your line directly to the front of one of the size one stumpies, especially the modern ones, they've got like square kind of metal molded um, line through sort of setup for them and that'll rub, that'll rub through your line easily. But in terms of divers, there's so many on the market. Like, again, Codger have a really popular one. There's your old mates. You've got, like, Mega Bass have got the big M's. They've been a modern one. Like, that's one I'm re- – I haven't thrown it yet, but I'm very keen to throw it in the clear water. It's got a thinner profile. It's going to be a bit more silent than your more traditional lures. Probably is going to be the perfect size just to entice that slightly bigger fish. I think they're going to be good. There's a few others by, say, Duo Duo. I can't remember the name of it. They're doing, like, I think it might be a Realis crank or something. Yeah, there's the Duo. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I saw the Duo crankbait um, in, trailies, in trailies today, and they look fantastic as well. Even Strike Pro will bring, like, it sounds really weird, but Strike Pro yes. will bring out some really big crankbaits too. And they're going to be awesome. And they're, like, and they fall into the really, like, I'd say the cheap category in terms of COD stuff as well. Really, going to be really effective. The hook- stuff you're not going to mind throwing into the depths of timber or even just fishing that really spindly stuff that most people sort of look over because they know you might get hung up. Like if you lose a $12 or $15 lure at the end of the day, you're not gonna, it's not going to break your heart like throwing a gantier or something into the death pile of snags and losing it once it's sunk down three metres. Yeah. Not nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, not nice at all. And... To be fair, the history of like Mario Cotton Lua has been not centered around this high end JDM stuff or American stuff, but more so just around classic old school Australian wooden lures and styled stuff like AC, so these like the Australian crafted, uh, custom crafted stuff as well. Um, like Dill said, Codgers, and then obviously. We can, like that's just the hard body side of things as well, and obviously they've branched out into some surface stuff, but like that, like they were the staple diet of our Murray cod fisheries for the last twenty years, and they're still relevant today. Um, and then I guess going forward, spinnerbaits, spinnerbaits are a massive things as well. Um, bass and spinnerbaits in Australia, really, probably the predominant market. Um, in terms of spinnerbaits, but there's up and coming brands as well. So like, like Spinrite Lures, who obviously we did our comp with, which was really awesome. That they, they, he makes some really cool stuff. Gauge, but then there's brands like Bridgewater, Loden, um, Loden Lures. 
I think it's Londoners or London Spinnerbaits. They make some really cool stuff. Gangsters. Pirates. There's heaps out there now. Heaps out there now. And they're all good and they're all Australian made. And it's really nice to, uh, nice to support those companies, whoever you choose to um, to go with as well. And it's cool just seeing like unique blade styles. Like how many, I've started to see like spinning twin blades and all sorts of crazy unique designs and people just going out with wacko colors like the cool thing about spinner baits is you can get them custom designed to what you may like or you can make them yourself like if you jump on ebay and have a look around you can get all sorts of skirts and heads and wires everything else it's like far, it's it's far easier to just go buy them and it's probably far cheaper to go and buy them off someone as well and often you can talk to those small small lure makers and they'll make you those custom ones as well yeah, I know you've done that with Gage, Mitch, like with Spinrite. You've said, hey, you should think about doing this with that skirt, whatever it may be, this sort of trailer, and they go well. Yeah, that's right. And and uh, and they really they really enjoy and embrace um, either the criticisms or your innovations and stuff and your thoughts as well because often a lot of the time it's not stuff that they've thought about and it's things that they want to branch into as well. So Spinnerbase, fantastic experience. Extremely good searching lures as well. And like, yeah, you got your Colorado, you got your willow leaves. Like I know Mitch is a big fan of willows, to be honest. I love a Colorado. Like, of course, this depends on conditions, but I know I love just working them down deep and getting into bump into everything real slow. So that's why I'm a fan of the Colorados. But Mitch, why do you love the willows? Yo, I love will. Oh, to be fair, I love both of them, but I just use them to different circumstances. So if the water is discolored, um, and you need a bit more vibration to get that fish to hone in your lure. I'm definitely going to, um, inline twin Colorados or twin arm Colorados. But if I'm fishing in clear water, I'm often going like often a lot of the time you're going to buy spin baits with like the little Colorado at the front and then the big blade at the back. Yeah. Um, it's either going to be a Colorado or a Willow. Um, if I'm fishing clear water stuff, a lot of the time I'm going to cut that front little Colorado blade off and I'm going to put a reasonable size Willow blade on the back. And I'm going to fish generally slightly heavier as well. So I'm just, because obviously you're in flowing water. So if you want really pinpoint casts um, and sinking it down, single willow blades sink faster. They put off a little bit less vibration, but some cool things you can do with those is actually bend the tip of the blade down and they, or twist them. Um, if you twist them, they'll spin really tight. But if you blend that tip, bend the tip of that blade down, what ends up happening is it thumps around a lot more vigorously, but it still sinks really nicely as well. So they're really good for clear water stuff, and you don't need that. Often you don't need that really large presence of the Colorado. So that's why I really like willow blades, and and that transfers through into my Yellow Valley fishing as well. So I do a lot, a lot of river stuff in terms of Yellow Valley, and I'm I'm a big fan of willow blades in clear water and Colorados in dirty water, and that's about as it doesn't have to be much much simpler than that. And, yeah, willow blades and flowing stuff too. Yeah, so there's some really cool tips in there. And for me with the Colorados, like why another reason I love fishing them is just like, or should I say like what like like what Mitch said with the clear and the dirty, like when it's clear, I love just a, going a really small Colorado so you have that big pulse, small amount of flash, but you can still work it nice and slow and just get that nice big thump. And I guess that's the sort of same theory behind you bending it at the back, which I haven't heard of, which I'm going to steal that tip from you. And I'm sure that's sometimes why you've probably tailed me up on the water. <laughs> yeah. Little well, yeah. Well, it's, it's just small things that I've picked up over time and just little attributes from the blade that I like, but I just didn't really like the vibrations that it gave off. Yeah. But yeah, it's just those little subtle changes as well. And I've, and there's blades as well, like Colorado's I've seen them where they come already built, built with like a weird cup 
curve, like a bit more, obviously they're obviously curved, but like a bit more of a cup or, um, in the top portion of the blade too. And that's where it stems yeah, from. Yeah, you get like a fold in the centre that warps on one side a bit more. Like yeah. And it just changes a little bit the vibration. And that might be the difference between catching a fish as well. Um, but also with spinnerbaits, it really... I really like, obviously, you have silver blades and you have gold blades, brass blades, and then you have colourful blades. Basically, for me, when it comes to blade colour and selection, and I, I carry a range of blades, thanks to Spinrite, he just gave me a stack of them. So I'm really thankful for him in terms of the stuff that he's given me. It just makes my life a hell of a lot easier. And if you talk to your spinnerbait makers, they'll send you out blades as well. Like You might have to pay a couple of bucks for them, but it, go, it pays to have a lot of different blades on you. But... If I'm fishing clear water, I really like silver blades. And if I'm fishing dirty water, I like gold blades. If you look at the way that light refracts off gold versus silver, um, light reflects light re- reflects off gold. Uh, it reflects better on gold blades in dirty water than it does off silver. So it really pays to have a couple of different blades. And then basically when it comes to, co- to colored blades, if you think it looks cool, it's probably still going to catch fish. Yeah, there's a few I've found while, like, say, like orange blades. Like, I know there's a few bass, I think it's Bassman Color 52 comes standard with orange blades, and it is very effective. Yeah, no, it's, it, especially in dirty water, the, the more color you can put out, the better. Oh, yeah, and, and then you can start breaking it down to tannin water and clear water and all that sort of stuff in terms of what you like as well. And we should, we'll probably end up doing a whole other episode just on colors and what will. And, and our approaches into colours of lures and flies. I um, mean, a whole another episode because we could we could sit and talk about this forever. Go and, on for hours about that. Um, and I think that probably sums up for spinnerbaits. But I will say one more lure, and that's wake baits. Yeah, wake baits. Um, and obviously you have walkers as well, and then you have got frogs and stuff. So there are a few other surface lures. If we just go back there for a second, wake baits are really effective. Like jackal mikeys, I really enjoy them when the bite can be really, really tough, it can be really good to throw something like a Jackal Mikey. And there's other ones out there as well. But I like, I just basically throw a Jackal Mikey. Um, they're really, really fantastic. It's just a bit more subtle. And especially if they're not tending to eat, like if you can't hear, if you can't hear cicadas or there's not a lot of swallows flying around or bird action or any other sort of action, it can be really nice to throw something that more so mimics a dying bait fish or a carp. And I or think even like a lizard. Like to me, every time I work on Mikey, I just think this is just a water dragon or a small snake crossing the river. Like they almost have that they almost stand up out of the water in that and have that perfect little reptile action. Yeah. And that's what I tend to think. So they're almost a great lure to say throw them like late in like early evening, late morning, when there's still some shade on the water. The fish have certainly become a lot harder to convert into eating its traditional surface offerings, but you might start finding more active reptiles. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, and, and obviously you can, if you work them a little bit faster, then they dive a little bit deeper. And that can just be, in terms of, say, a bent minnow and how you fish them, it can be the difference between a bite, like them eating at subsurface or surface as well. And it just it works really nicely. The only downside to Jackal Mikey's is trying to figure out the hook combination on them because the hooks that they come with aren't overly strong. No. So <laughs> what we do is I take off the middle treble because they come with three sets of trebles. I take off the middle treble and I upgrade them. And I've forgotten what I upgrade them to because it's been a while since I've done it. But Dill, I don't know if you can shed some light on that. I- 
think it was off the top of my head. I think it's like size two. Don't quote me on this. Size two owner ST forty ones or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely not whatever the, whatever the black owners are. Not not the ST fifty sixes. I think it's like or the fifty twos. It's the one below them, and it's like a got a black nickel finish. Yeah, because I reckon I put 52s on it and it was heavy. So the lighter ones out of the 56 or the 52s and it was slightly too heavy in the size that I had them on. Um, but if you play around with the sizing, like if you put a heavier hook on there, obviously it's going to possibly, it's probably going to stand the test, like t- stand a fight with a larger fish, but you can sacrifice some of the action and there's a bit of a trade off there in terms of what you really want yeah. out of that lure. Okay, you can even try running something like. If you went light, if you want a lighter weight hook, maybe like the BKK fangs in like say a size I'd go one or even one oh, or just maybe put a slightly heavier hook at the front, slightly smaller, like sorry, slightly larger, heavier hook at the front, slightly smaller at the rear. So that way you can just get that tail to really kick out, but you've got that heavier treble to center it. But just grab like we all have a few packs of trebles lying around. Next time you're down your local pond or you're out on the river, wherever you may be, just try two or three or four, whatever combinations of trebles and just see what action you think looks best. Yep. Give it a shot. Yeah, and I would yeah thoroughly recommend upgrading your hooks and testing them before you go out on the water for that first day of cod opening because you don't want to get out there, especially say if you get there and it's 6 o'clock at night on the opening day just because it's what happened, it's what happened after work and your lures aren't swimming quite right. Just it's, It pays to be ready because you're not going to have that much time uh, in terms of that low light period or like, obviously you can fish in the dark, but on the river it can get a little bit sketchy fishing it, fishing it deep night time. Um, so just definitely test them out and upgrade your split rings. Definitely upgrade your split ring because if you're, say, even not necessarily fish, but if you reef those hooks into a snag and you're really pulling on it, on it trying to get it out, especially if you're Dylan I and you're in kayak and you're just levering off hooks, if those hooks are the strongest point, and the blue is the strongest point, that split ring is going to like come wide open. And it'll be the same on a fish too. So make sure you upgrade those split rings. Well, you're, if you're upgrading your hooks, your hooks are only as strong as your split rings. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, and you have people come through, like I see it a lot. Now, people come through and like, oh, yeah, I, wanna, I don't want strong rings or hooks. So that way when I get snagged, I can just pop it off. And it's like, well, that's all well and good for your bank account. But you're throwing that lure and putting all that time into catch fish and you're telling me you want hooks that you can straighten out. It's like, I, I don't care if I have to lose five or six good lures that I've paid my own, like, fantastic, my hard-earned money for. <laughs> it means I actually get to land that metre fish or even 80-centimetre fish. Like, you buy a lure, you throw it. If you lose it, you lose it. If it gets eaten, awesome. Yeah, well, the, the yeah, well the good thing about this clear water stuff is it's it really is only a warm warm year sort of fishery you know it's the best obviously it's the best in sort of december in the early season and then it's also really good in say and um sort of february and march so the good thing about that is if you are casting those and you are getting snagged you just jump in the water go for a, go for a swim if you're gonna strip on down because you don't want to get your clothes wet just make sure that there's no one else around you before you do that because otherwise you've got the real possibility of offending a couple of people. But you don't lo- don't tend to lose too many lures because I just go swimming for them if I have to. It's Rock like, out when you cock out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like there's nothing like it's not worth losing, even losing a $20 codger or something. It's not worth losing it when the water's really nice and it's kind of really good to go for a swim. Yeah, you might get wet, but <laughs> you might get wet, but that's all right. Like you can dry off. So I always swim for them if I need to. 
But yeah. um, and and the cool thing is, there's going to be way more lures coming out there. Like like there's swim baits. We don't really use them too much in the clear water. They are a thing that gets snagged and then flowing water. It can just be a bit of a disaster. Like, so, like you said, we like we don't use them a lot. They're quite effective, but you just end up wasting so much time getting them back off timber. And, and it's the same thing. Basically, lipless crankbaits as well. We steer clear, steer clear of them. Very effective. Very effective hooking snags as well. So I just we tend to steer clear a lot of ganties. Uh, look, not not ganties. That's just one lure on top of my head. We tend to steer clear of a lot of swim baits um, in this flowing water and the clear stuff because it's just a snag. Like it's not that deep. So a lot of the time, you yeah, you really deep in snags, um, and it's just time spent fishing out lures off snags is time not spent fishing. So, Well said. And, well, obviously we've covered lures well, but there's a whole other rabbit warren we're about to go down here. So fly fishing for Murray Cod has become quite a popular thing. And this other host of the podcast here has dropped a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of energy into targeting clearwater cod on fly with Good deal of success. So, Mitch, what what fly gear are you running? Run us through it. All right. So, what I'm currently running for my small water setup is um, an Epic Bandit Epic Bandit 1008 fly rod. So, I got that built up by Dusk Custom Rods. So, shout out to that man. Um, good rod. Good rod. It's fiberglass, so it's a little on the heavier side. But in terms of reasons for selecting a rod that is a slower action, like a fiberglass rod or like the S-glass rods you, you can buy, the slower action loads up really fast. So it's actually really good pre- good for presenting small casts, um, especially like Belgium-style casts when you're using larger flies. It just really loads up nicely so you can pre- present those really short casts, especially when you're fishing really aggressively tapped lines like the Scientific Angler, Titan Tapers, or the Rio outbound shorts. They're really, really good lines to throw on a rod like this for short cast. It just loads that rod up nicely. So, yep, Epic Band 1008. But I'm also really considering a couple of other rods for the start of this season because I kind of want to bring two rods, and that is a Vision Down Under uh, 10 weight. I really like my 10 weights, um, and that's what the Epic Band is. So the 1008 stands, the 1080 for the Epic Band is uh, 10 weight, 8 foot. And the Vision Down Under, I'd go for a nine-foot, ten-weight as well. It just has the feel of throwing really, really large flies. And, like, yeah, you don't have to throw that large, that bigger of a fly to go get a Murray Cod on a fly. Same with Yellow Valley as well. But I just like – it's really cool. I think it's uh, – It's like lures. The bigger, the bigger the lure you can get that fish to eat, the cooler it is. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure with cod, if you th- if you could throw a lure that was 90 centimetres long that imitated, like, a 10-kilo carp, you'd probably still catch a cod on it. Yeah, you'd probably be a, <laughs> you'd probably be a freak of a cod and you'd, you'd take, you're going to go through some serious donut sessions. You're going to have to have some arms to cast that one, boys. <laughs> but it'll be, it, like, yeah, it, it'd work. And I sort of think the same thing with, like, with my fly fishing as well. I really like to throw really sizable flies. Um, and that's why I use 10 weights. So you could use eight weights. You could use eight weights and that would be okay. You could use seven weights. That's sort of starting to go to the really, really light side. You could definitely do it. But the ten, I use the 10 weight sort of stuff just to make sure that I can throw those large flies. 
as opposed to using the lighter stuff where you could, yeah, you could catch fish on them and you could definitely muscle a few fish out of the snags, but you sort of restricted in the size of the flies that you throw. So that's why I use 10 weights purely. No, well, like, yeah, if you take taking one rod for the whole day's going up or down the river, you're going to take that one that's going to give you that versatility to throw big and small, whatever it may be. But also at the end of the day, if you go hook on a really big fish in tight timber on a seven weight, you're going to... You're going to be in some strife, potentially. Flow, big fish, light gear, it never really ends too well. <laughs> you all learn it the hard way. No, nah, not at all. So, and then, the, so the other side, that's rods. So, yep, 10 weights, really good starting point. Nine weights, definitely get away with as well. 11 weights, 12 weights, you definitely use as well. 10 weights are really not, they're the nice intermediate line for casting and also not too heavy, but also not too light throwing those big flies. When it comes to lines, if you can in this small water stuff, I would thoroughly recommend taking two lines and that would be an intermediate with an inter, like an intermediate sink tip, so a floating running line, intermediate head, or if you just have an intermediate, that's fine, that's fine as well. Um, and also a floating line. But if you realistically only have the money to buy the rod and only the money to buy one line, I would recommend just taking that intermediate sink tip with the floating running line because you can still use surface lures on that. You might have to use them a little bit faster to keep them on the surface a little bit better and, and improve that action. But that that's a, that's all right. It's still you still you're still going to be able to catch fish on that. That's for sure. You might have to throw a slightly longer leader and try and steer clear of fluorocarbon because that's going to help it sink as well. But there's just little things to think about. So I'd go, for me, I run, what is it, a scientific angler sonar intermediate. That's full full intermediate. Um, but I would, I would definitely go a, yeah, a intermediate, <laughs> what is it, the intermediate um, sink tip with the floating running line, that would be my suggestion in terms of intermediate lines. Um, and I run a sonar, no, scientific, what is it, scientific angular Titan taper floating line too. Just really, really good. And I and in summer, fish warm water lines too. The water, water's warm and, yeah, just go. Yeah, that, that, that'll do lines. Reels, you could use a Coke bottle. Actually, the the reel is insignificant in terms that, of... That was the first thing in about uh, two minutes. I think I understood Coke bottle. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so, like a Coke bottle. Yeah, so real, <laughs> real. you don't even need one. If you really didn't want to, it's going to be a bit of a mess to manage your line. Nappy snappy. But, like, it could be anything. It could be the cheapest... Ten weight reel in the world. It basically just holds line. No, no line comes off when you cod fish. I have never seen a cod on my reel in any small waterways. Yeah, and well, I think, and I would largely like to think as well. If I hooked a really large cod out in a lake on, like I say, a meter cod out in the lake, depending on how much line I had out, I also wouldn't see that fish take a click of drag off that either. And I don't, I, I just don't think it, I don't think it's necessary. You, you should be able to go hard enough on them on the gear that you got to not really have to then take any line off your fly reel. But that that basically covers the whole fly rod reel setup. Leader very 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 simple. Forty pound one piece leader, five to six foot doesn't need to be any longer than that. Perfection loop on the top. 
loop knot on the bottom because you're never going to use split rings. So always, always use loop knots. And when it comes back to lures as well, if you're running split rings, tight, tight uni knots, and if you're not using split rings, loop knots. That's all I can say. It makes it clears that up nicely. Now, Mr. Mitchell, so I've seen you sitting in park benches in the middle of cod season in 37-degree heat, tying these mites. Really articulate little cool creations. You're yeah. like a, I don't even know. I can't even think of an analogy. <laughs> wait for that right now. But yeah, you're sweating. Yeah. You're so, and you're thinking about what are you going to throw this evening? And you're putting in all this time to throw type these massive, cool, thirty centimeter long, furry, feathery things with the three hooks in them. Tell us what are they? How do they work? And do they catch? Well, I can say for certain that they will catch. And we'll talk about that just, We'll talk about it in a second just once I go through all these flies. Not all of them. There's not that many flies. And to be fair, you can make it a lot of flies. You can make it not that many flies. But when it comes to my selection of them, obviously surface and subsurface, it doesn't get any – it's way it's way less complicated than – it's way less complicated than conventional gear. For once in fly fishing's life, is it less comp- complicated than fishing gear Two, t- two sizes of lures, surface, subsurface, or wet flies or streamers, whatever you want to call them. There you go. Even I can understand this, everyone. So no, <laughs> listen, listen in. It's safe for you lure casters. So for surface stuff, there are a plethora of different lures that you could use. And historically, the Dahlberg Diver, fantastic fly. So that's a, de- a stacked deer hair fly trimmed up and it dives down um, on the strip. Very, 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 very successful fly. As a counter for so many Murray Card, tied fantastic by a heap of different um, people all around Australia and all around the world. Great fly. 100% go for it. Um, and it's largely said the deer hair stuff, it seems it's got so many little intricate little fibers in there. It doesn't get pushed out of the way by a fish a lot of the time when they come up and they suck it off the surface or hit it off the surface. So they tend to get nicer hookups on them. So they're fantastic flies. I personally love, I like tying my own and I'm a garbage deer hair tire, nor have I put that much effort into tying deer hair stuff. So I just use foam headed frogs, foam headed popper stuff. So the Howitzer popper heads and also the double barrel popper heads. For those who know, you'll know. For those who don't know, Google it or buy them off someone else. Um, but, yeah, I just tie basically two flies for surface, and that is a small, I call it a synth toad. Um, <laughs> is that the one I call the Kermit? Yeah, the one that you call the Kermit. So the synth toad, I've named it the synth toad because for anyone that's watched, it's is it Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, Futurama with the Hypnotoad. Yeah, Hypnotoad. So, yeah, Hypnotoad. Yeah, so it's basically a Hypnotoad. I call it synth toad because oh. I tie it out of all synthetic materials because it's when you lift that fly out of the water if you tie it with natural stuff it tends to the water tends to stick to that fly and it makes it really heavy but if you tie it out of all synthetic materials it tends to shed water really fast and makes it really light and really nice to cast and so, also, no that fly i've seen it get very eaten so many times yeah well, we'll so talk- many times it has outfished any other surface lure we've been through even i've been throwing so yeah it, and- fly hit no toad yeah, and we'll, we'll keep that down. It's, it's in two seconds. It'll give me a bear with me for two seconds. That's uh, such a good fly. So that's the, that's the synth toad, hypno toad, whatever you want to call it. Really cool fly that I tie, and it's not really necessarily my original design. It's 
bits and pieces of other flyers and I've just made it into my own. Um, but guys like BWC fly, so Brett Clark ties a really, really mean fly. Um, and also people like Fly Max Australia, so Chris Beach down here in Melbourne, also ties some wicked surface stuff. So get in contact with any of those guys. And, you know, they're going to hook you up with the right flies, um, for, like right surface stuff. But I also have been really influenced by a guy over in Sweden, Nicholas Bauer. And for those who know him, incredibly talented pike angler, fly designer, has some wicked stuff that I would love to tie down in the future and just meddle with. But he tied this fly called the Pike Popper. It's basically a giant lizard-looking thing. It's a three-piece articulated flyer with a wiggle tail or basically a curl tail at the back of it, and it comes in at nearly 30 centimetres long. Creates a lot of just, like disturbance and a lot of presence on top of the water, and that has accounted for some, like my biggest fish on like fly in the clear water, which was nearly 70 centimetres, but I think, I suspect I'll probably break that this year. Um, and yeah, fantastic fly, massive thing. Definitely need a 10 weight to throw it. You'll probably be able to see them on, we'll post them up on social media at some point. And then that's basically surface. So synth toad and articulated pike slash cod popper, I tie a little bit differently and I tie them with weed guards. Works really well. Subsurface, we'll break it down. I use a cool little three-piece, yeah, cool little three-piece articulated red finny carp sort of pattern. Has Is that been- the, sorry to interrupt. So I'm on the same track. That What I call the Gantier flyer because it's like a three-piece Gantier that moves cool. Yeah, so it's like a three Yeah, it's this three-piece little articulated thing, almost a game change level if, it, if I added extra articulations, but I don't think it would really work too well for that fly design. So it's just a bucktail thing tied on a couple of... Um, Top of Gamagatsu, is it Pete? Gamagatsu SL12s, I think. Yep, SL12, big one at the front, small one at the back. Two um, two weed guns, one on each hook, and uh, you can tie a rattle in it, not tie a rattle in it if you want. Looks really, really, really good in the water. And surprisingly enough, extremely good in bright light conditions and gets very, 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 very eaten. Very cool fly. So I'll post some photos of that one day. I'll tie up a couple more um, for the upcoming cold season. Very excited about that. Um, fly that. Like it's pretty, is a, it's a, it is a big presentation when you hold it in your hands, but it's funny seeing the size of the fish that tried it down that thing. Yeah. Like like we have thrown swim baits and stuff in there, but it seems to be that, that thing, out that thing outfishes any swim bait by a mile. Yeah. And then there's flies like Mega Dobsons, which are basically just a giant woolly bugger. They're really, really awesome. So that was made by, how have I forgotten his name? Cod's Country, Nick Knight. Really cool fly. He's made some great stuff too. So check out his blog as well. That's Cod's Country. Um, really cool blogs, really cool videos. He, like he, He's basically my reason for getting to Cod or Fly. Then there's stuff like game changers, so ammo flies, beast brushes, tied some really cool stuff, but he no longer ties anymore. So you have to go to people like Ploy Flies and I think it's Freehand Flies as well. They tie some really cool game changers. Donnie Brasco's really cool fly as well. So BWC Flies ties them. And Ben Back Deceivers. Re- like their Ben Backs are really fantastic because the, the design is very simple, but they're also super super snag resistant so you can basically 
drag them through whatever you see, whatever you like without them getting snagged, but they just have a really nice bay fish pattern. So Ben Max, fantastic. And really, if if you have those sort of six six or seven flies, you're going to catch fish, hundred percent. And no, I can catch a cotton fly. Oh, still, you, you oh, it's not going to be difficult for you to catch a cotton fly. <laughs> thank you, thank you. No. And and it doesn't have to be difficult, especially in those smaller clear water stuff. It's as simple as tying something that looks like lures. And figuring out how to fish them, it gets really difficult managing your lines in flowing water as well. But like, and often you're seeing there stripping really, really, really fast. So I uploaded a little video. I think it's on our, it's on our Instagram. I think if not, it's on. Yeah, mine. I think it's on the old IGTV on our Instagram from memory. But if not, yeah. just go there. There's some cool videos anyway. <laughs> yeah, if not, head there anyway, and we'll be putting some stuff up there for sure or and i'll put that video on some other point when this podcast gets released but yeah you end up stripping really 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 fast to try and keep up with your fly because if it's coming downstream and say we're in a kayak we're going upstream you have to strip really really fast just doing part the action that you would like on that fly so it gets pretty crazy if you're doing it like that if you're land-based it's not so bad and i wouldn't actually mind doing some land-based stuff and fly just because i think it'd be really really fun um, no, I think it'll be good in a way. You might even find your line management. You know, it'll be different to in a kayak, but I think you'll be a lot more on top of it. Yeah, well, for those who are trout fly fishermen and are familiar with like swinging wet flies and stuff like downstream yeah. swinging, it's it's much the same as that. So you cast up, you have to do a few mends and stuff with your lines, but especially if you're using surface stuff, not so bad. Subsurface can get a bit tricky in terms of all your mending and stuff, especially if you're not using that floating, running lined intermediate. Um, but yeah, it's. It, I think it would be really effective, especially with that larger and longer rod as well. I think it would be really good doing it land-based. So we might do even a few sessions land-based just for a bit of fun and a bit of something different. Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind just in general doing a session where we leave the yaks at home and go away for a couple of days and do it on foot because I honestly haven't done much of it at all. And I think yeah. it would be a little challenge to be outside of our comfort zone a bit more, getting back in touch with it all. So Yeah, getting, getting, getting yeah, in touch fun. with getting in touch with the common man. but but yeah i think that really sums up sort of the fly side of things but some really interesting things that dylan and i have observed especially over last season is regarding fly fishing and its actual effectiveness in terms of catching fish and also large fish and it's it like what are your what are your thoughts on how i went on fly deal oh like i reckon you would not have caught less fish than I did. You probably, if anything, caught more. Mm, I, I, like, I, in terms of hits, I'd say you comfortably had more hits, but especially, like we're talking before the podcast, me and Mitch had a quick discussion about like how we want to try a target because we know there's bigger cod in this clear water. Like we're, we're fishing, say, the systems such as the ovens where there is bigger cod, but mostly like anywhere from 45 centimetres to 60 is your typical average fish, but... There is a lot bigger fish around. We're talking about how we're just talking about those hits you have, and they you never forget them. They're just burnt into your memory. And I was like, I was like, man, you think about it, like every cod that has been like a genuine like big big fish. Every one of those fish we have seen hit a lure has been on fly. Every single one. Like Dylan and I caught exactly. I think we have large fish. 
on our last sort of sessions last season. Just pushing 70 sort of size. So, like, very nice fish for clear water, but by no means huge as, as they get in there. But Dill got one on lure, I got one on fly. But then there were hits that I got on fly that were just in another level of fish. We're not saying they were meter fish, but no. they would have been definitely encroaching like the high, the mid to high 70s, possible 80s as well. And that was on fly. And that didn't actually, none of the other hits came on lures. And that's not to say that they wouldn't have come if we had to put lures in those spots either. But exactly. they but there was consistently three or four larger hits on flies. And I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. And I think it certainly, make it, it certainly leads to your thinking of little patterns and stuff. So yeah. And to me, I'm like, Hey, these fish, I always remember they're sitting at the say they're sitting in prime locations for a feeding cod to sit. Some of these spots, even I'd thrown a lure. I remember the big, you'll know the one Mitch, there was some tw- like one twig sticking out of the water on a high bank. I remember I threw a pomp in, nothing you throw in the like oh, i just kept going past it after i did one cast and that's when you threw your gantier fly in and kablam yep so yeah and I think, I think there's something in it like these fish have probably seen a lot of pompadours or a lot of other lures but hey they have not seen a big furry feathery synthetic-y thing swimming past their face before so something different and yeah kind of one of those fish that are very tri- like they i always say that cotton yellows they learn and they remember Mm. And and I think one of the other things as well in terms of flies, if you are tying your flies, and I know that people tie like Dill might not understand it. Some other, a lot of other people might not understand it. There's like bulkhead flies, reverse tied hollow flies and stuff. Things that are tied sort of back to front, flip around. Anyway, putting eyes on your flies and eyes on your lures, very, very critical things. Even on your spinnerbaits, if you could put larger eyes on your spinnerbaits, cod really are orientated in terms of how they eat bait fish. They love to eat it head first. So if you can put eyes on there and put a definite head on it, or if you, I wish if you could see what I was doing, I've got little quotation marks in the air. <laughs> but if you can put a head on your lure or your fly, it's going to go a lot closer to getting eaten. Yeah, well, it's any predatory fruit. Almost any predator's natural reaction, but especially with fish, to take down the head first. Like the head of any bait fish or any animal is its weakest point. Yeah. So they see the eye and that's their target to spank that bait fish there. Yeah. So for me, I always like to tie, tie in like an appropriate sized eye in my flies, but a larger eye. And when we're swimming, say my Gantier fly, as Dill calls it, and say dill sometimes swims a soft plastic or a swim bait or something. I think my flag tends to get eaten more because it tends to have a far larger profile in terms of eye. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure if the overall length or profile is the same as, say, a Gantia or a, um, what are they, Gant, like, we don't know if they're Gantia, but like a Chir, what are they called? Chirabiddle. But yeah, like it, like I'd say it's, it's definitely, it's bigger than a, even like bigger than a Gantrel, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah then, I think off the top of my head, Gantry was like 160 or 180 and your fly is definitely bigger than that. Yeah, and that's just my subsurface fly. I could definitely tie them larger, but it's going to get... I got, I've got a bit more research and design some larger stuff, but they're definitely going to work, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, really interesting in terms of larger fish approaching flies. And I think I'm going to start seeing a lot more people out there fly fishing over the coming several seasons. And it's not that hard. It's not that hard and it's not that expensive either anymore, which is fantastic because it just means people can get out there and try something, something a little bit different. Well, 
I think yeah. we've talked our heads off about lures and flies. And <laughs> so let's just keep it rolling. So we found one segment we keep going back to, sort of the 1% tips and tricks. Like I think this is a great thing just for everyone to sort of reflect on what we've said and refine a few little factors. Now, let's kick it off in the way we always do. For God's sakes, make sure you are running razor, razor sharp hooks. I could not even stress this more for this species. Cod, like, we'll be honest, clear water cod, it's not as essential because you're going to get a lot of opportunities, but you will stuff up that really, really important one if you don't have those perfect hooks. Cod are notorious sometimes when you go out there, you might cast all day for just a couple of hits. And if you can't convert those hits, you're going to be hopping into your swag at the end of the day, feeling pretty bitter and pretty sour and you're not going to bed with a smile on your face. You'll just feel like you will feel exhausted and sweaty and hot and bothered and you're going to have a shit night's sleep because all you'll be thinking about is those couple of fish you've missed because you didn't spend $10 to go change those hooks. Yeah, we just cannot stress it enough. Like I, even me on my session, like the week of session I had on the weekend that we might talk about anyway, I went through that many packs of trebles and it is just worth it. You don't know what fish is you don't know what fish is coming, but if you've got if you have everything in order, your leader not tight, refined, you have your lures connections tied really well, you've upgraded you've upgraded your split rings, you've upgraded your hooks, you literally have no weak points in your armor, you are going to have the best opportunity. And at least that way, if you do lose a fish, you can basically put it down to as just a bad luck point. And that's the best way you can go to sleep at night when you lose a good fish. (laughs) No no sympathy to anyone I fish with or even myself. If I've gotten lazy and I haven't changed the treble because I hit a snag before and it got a bit blunt or it's been sitting in the box for a year and the point's dulled. Like even if it just comes down to just carrying a small diamond file with you, just touch that tip up. That's all it takes. Yeah, and 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 I like to go sort of one step further as well. So obviously, some of these larger hooks can have semi-significant size barbs. I really like to crush my barbs on crush them. Yep, I like to crush them, especially on cod. Uh, we want we release them all, and like you don't have to, but like yeah, we release them all. And obviously, if, if using a hook that size, those barbs, if they got in us, extremely extremely terrible situation to be in. And I don't want to have to ruin. I don't want to have to come down a river like early in the morning just to go pack everything up with a treble hook stuck in my hand and then go off to the hospital to get ripped out if I can't remove it while I'm on the water. Just crush your barbs. Just it's better for you. It's better for the fish. Better and then now. also you're going to get more hookups because I've had a lot of times like I got onto this from fishing top water stuff where not only do you crush the barbs for your safety and the and like sort of the benefit for the fish but if you've got a barb it takes a lot more pressure for that hook to be driven into the fish's mouth if it's got a barb where if there's no barb once that hook point is in it's just the same amount of pressure for that whole whole what would you call it shaft of the hook to go in so you're getting a better better hook penetration better hook set and if you happen to have an accident or a mishap on the river all you need to do is just Pull it out. You don't need your mate to go yanking it out with pliers and then ripping the other triple into your arm and it just ends up being a whole freaking Mr. Bean skit. <laughs> yeah, and, and as long as you keep tight, you're not losing fish. No. 
And the cool thing, not the cool thing, but the thing about Mario Kart is obviously they've got a few, a fair few soft spots in their mouths, but they've also got some seriously hard spots in their mouths as well. If you're hooking a larger fish, say on a small lure, the hook gape that you have on like, on your hooks tend to be a fair bit smaller. So they will penetrate into those harder points in a large fish's mouth, and that might be the difference between landing it and not. So yeah. no barbs, definitely the way to go in my mind. And that's that carries on for a lot of fish as well. And even when it comes to us, like fishing for brim, like we sometimes sort of like own ST11s and stuff just because it has super, super fine barbs and it just has that extra hook penetration that you need. So Even with brim this day and age, like I used to say just crush my barbs down for – safety but what i found is especially when you're tournament fishing and you're in a hot bite think about how much time you might sometimes waste 30 seconds trying to get five treble points out of a brim's mouth but <laughs> when you've got barbless you literally just go once you give it slap you just get the pliers and you go tap 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 all those hooks just fall out you can chuck the fish back put it in your live while you're casting again literally it probably takes sometimes it might take a second and a half to just de-hook a fish yeah. With big fish, it's normally even easier because you've got nice big trebles. And if you've got a cod just who's got the middle set in his mouth and it's only just one barb in there, all you have to do is just get the pliers, knock it out, done. And, like, and, no, and a lot. Around, no damaging the fish. There's no risk to you. So and, much better. So much better. And a lot of the time, too, they just fall out. With, yeah. spin, with spinner baits all that, I don't, definitely don't crush the barbs on spinner baits. Obviously, that, they just only have that one hook, so it's not too much of a hassle. You can, hey, do you want to go for it? Yeah, but if you want to go for it, and the only downside to spinnerbait is you can't change the hooks out if you, for some reason, wanted to have barbs in a, in a different situation. Mm. Um, and they've got obviously you can put stingers on as well, but I just like to keep those barbs there. And for my flies as well, seeing as you can have those loose moments of line, because it can just be a bit strange with your line management as well with flies. I also like to keep. Uh, my barbs on there, but I try and select a hook which does have a smaller barb just for keeping those hooks on there, my safety, but also for that fish's health and safety as well. So that's 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 the reason that I keep those barbs on. So, but hard bodies, hundred percent crushing those barbs. Well, I guess that's probably enough on hooks. Like we talk about it every week, but it's kind of cool how we can always add something a little new to it. And if not, we're just drilling it into your minds. Like there, like hook points are everything, but. One thing I noticed the second I started fishing cod in rivers is everyone just fishes snags. It's all about the snags. Now, there's two really cool things here. So I found, like, I, I, I still do this. You look at a snag and the biggest, gnarliest, big back of it, you have this huge, big root ball or the big fallen main up branch of the trees falling in and it's got, like, little cool bits hanging off right on the bank and you think oh sick that's going to be great so you're going to have a nice undercut bank and there's all this structure to hold fish now yeah that's there is certainly fish holding there but what i what i've certainly sort of started to work out is that while fish will hold there i don't necessarily think they're the spots they feed so many times i'm just like you'll be floating down river just throwing cast and bang put one on the end of the snag right where the sort of current's starting to hit it and there might be a bit of a back eddy you work it back and bang straight away you get hit so i tend to really think murray cod what they'll do is they'll hold up say under an undercut bank or right in under a big snag out of the current but then they feed in that more active water where all the food's coming directly to them like these are very, very lazy fish at the end of the day. Like they are big, they are fat, they got a big paddle tail. So that tells us straight away, while they may be a predator, they use a big burst of energy 
and then they sort of just relax. Like they're not made for speed. They don't have a big fork tail where they can get in the current and just power up river, say like a carp might. Totally different species, totally different design, totally different feeding habits. So mm. I always give the tips of snags and the fronts of logs a lot more attention than I ever used to. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I couldn't stress that enough, especially if you have say a lay down coming through, but normally they also, they normally they lay down. Um, I guess if you think about the current hitting it, they bend down generally a lot of the time, say like a 45 degree angle or they push over closer to the banks. So it makes it really easy to peg out a cast right into the bank and then just wind it through underneath it and let things drift down underneath those logs. And it is, I'd say, and I'd say it's probably the most effective way of targeting fish in small water, but at the same time as well, it's a really good holding location for trout cod. If you're in, if you're in a waterway that has trout cod as well, it increases that level of bycatch of trout cod, which obviously you're not meant to, not really meant to go out there and target and stuff in rivers, but they are fun to catch. So we can't really, <laughs> can't really argue. Another Aussie native, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, it just increases that. And But I'd say the most likely spots are going to be the places where they can live and the places that are going to aggregate or congregate food so if say i i find undercut banks where they can be out of the current but the current is right there or snags where they can be out of it the current's right there and can wash food past that i call these locations in any terms of fishing that's the percentage casts so if you had to go put in one cast somewhere just one that would be the that would be the spot that i would target absolutely and the other the other like every river has sand banks or mud banks. And it's so funny. You read any article about Murray Cod, it's just snag, snag, timber, timber, snag, 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 snag. And uh, like this, I think it was the very first ever session I fished with you, Mitch, on one of the rivers. We were like going along and it was just getting dark and like I just fired out a random cast and bang, got a fish. And I was like, that just came off a sand flat. I was like, oh, that's odd been casting at timber the whole time. I've caught a couple of fish and I just pulled one off a sand flat in like a foot of water. So I started doing that more and, well, we they de- like as the sun goes down, I swear like what these cod are doing is that's when they that's when they want to move off their snags and start to feed. And I swear you catch more fish out in the open than off the tim- one, on, than on timber once the sun sort of begins to set. Like I don't know if there's much merit in it, but I certainly find, I don't know, it's just because I started casting everywhere, but I found there just seems to be a feeding zone. Like I'm guessing they're going up there looking for, say, more crayfish or shrimp or you see, something else. You you know? see, I'd, I'd almost think it was the opposite. But yeah. it's, funny, it's funny how Dylan and I's views change on this. But in during the day, my observations are carp tend to be in that shallow margin. Absolutely. So at night time, I suspect the carp probably are in that same sort of location as well, trying to either go upstream, and that could be also small fish as well. And mm-hmm. like Dill said, shrimp and yabbies as well. But obviously, if it's sand flats, tends to not have that yabby population. That no, like you do see the odd cray crawling around on them. This is true. You do see the odd cray. Yeah, but like I think I, my guess is crays and carp. That's why they're going there. Mm-hmm. But they, I don't Definitely. see there being any other reason than food. Like yeah, they, they, that's where they that's where they're going to feed, and it, it's gotten to the point. Like sometimes I will literally just fish the sand flats because I know, say on a new moon night, like 
so much so much harder to go throw a lures at timbers when you're just getting hung up in a tree every 10 casts like i know i'm like i'm just going to just drift down the middle of the river and cast if i cast at a snag awesome i might get a hit but if i cast on the sand flat i almost have more confidence half the time yeah I know eventually if i do a 30 meter cast at one point in that the likelihood i'm going to come across a cod within a dozen or so casts is pretty high and, and to be fair, at night time, like we said, they're moving around. So yeah. but if, if there's a surface we were coming in and they're within sort of a couple of metres, they're going to come they're over. They're going to feel it, they're going to hear it, and they're going to want to eat it. Yeah, so especially especially your pompadours and stuff, they're going to come over for sure and have a look at it. So, yeah, we really like target active fish um, at the front of the front and tips of snags, those current lines, those edges. Mm-hmm. Don't, look over, don't overlook sand flats and razor, razor, sharp hooks. And... I and to be fair, I think that's about as simple as it gets for the one percent tips and tricks. There, and bait, 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 bait. bait. Yeah, and that is the same for absolutely everything. If you're going to get something to eat, unless it's out of a reaction bite, bait, find the bait, imitate the bait. But also with your bait with cod, don't be afraid to look up. If you see big old red gums with nesting cockatoos or corellas or galahs, you found a bait source. Yeah, like like in, even in small waterways, we've had like we've had people throw tremors, like um yeah, ballista tremors, coolbug, coolbug, wake, wake snakes, the the um crack, like what are they? The crack, not the crack jacks, um, yeah, mud eye snakes, mud eye rattlesnakes, like some seriously big stuff, and seen them get eaten. Yeah, <laughs> so in the world, but it just shows how switched on these fish are to terrestrial life. Yeah, and especially when say oh, I'm having fish eat a thirty centimeter fly. They're not like, <laughs> I don't think they're, they're not too fussy about everything. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I think that's sort of, we're obviously getting into the end of the podcast now because realistically, there's not a whole lot to cover in these, but most memorable sessions, Dill, what, like, what are your most memorable sessions? I certainly, for one, have had some incredible sessions, but. Dill has Dill has done a little bit of different stuff to what I've done, so it'll be really interesting to see what you have to say. Yeah. Like it's funny. I've found I was literally thinking about my most memorable session, and since a lot of it's late afternoon and early morning, it's all sort of blended into one ball of cod fishing. But I had a thought, and like it might not be the most memorable sessions, but it was probably the most memorable fish. I caught with you, Mitch. It was that one, we talked about it earlier when we both got one just under 70 and we're not, we we're both like that. It's pretty cool. But it was really cool because mine, I remember I've cast, casting a sand flat in the middle of the river and it was a, I saw a little twig cast towards it, bang, got a really nice fish and it was a, a tagged cod. And I'd only ever caught one tagged fish beforehand and that was a mulloway out of the Hopkins. And I don't know, I just, I always remember that fish and it was just, really really cool like it, it fought hard for a cod and it was after a night of catching a lot of small fish and it was a bit of a slow start and it was the day i'd just driven up and to just catch a really nice sized fish it was tagged it got some cool photos of it i was stoked like what more can you ask for for your first night cod fishing for almost for the season let's say like there was just a really nice fish that yeah, it was, and, and we've got some good photos of that as well. So we'll be putting that fit. We'll definitely be putting that fish up. I'd say either with this podcast or very close by. Just in, as we sort of start really getting excited for it, start to build a bit of hype that hype up for the season as well. Yeah. I like, like I, that was really awesome. I was really jealous of that fish until I think it was the last night that we were fishing. I caught, yeah. my, <laughs> I caught my really good fish. 
I wish that was the most memorable session <laughs> where I caught my like my largest one. Mm. But I'd almost it's hard to say because that session was like obviously I caught I think it was a sixty eight or sixty nine centimeter cod of I don't even know anymore. Re- like really really good fish, but at the same time that same session I caught I, I lost that really large hit on the synth toad, and then I also had that really large hit as well on. The, like the cod popper, so the pike popper imitation as well. So that was a really cool session. But I think probably one of the better ones were we just had, and it's sort of bl- like Dill said, they all blur into one. But while I was fishing with Dill and while I was fishing with like a good mate, Grassy as well, I'm just going to, like, it's hard to say one session for certain, yeah. but I'm just going to say the yeah. overarching thing that made the this this trip and these other trips I can't really nail it down to one. The, the overarching thing that made these trips really, really memorable was the fact that I was fishing fly, solely fishing fly for the vast majority of it all. And I was catching up and or ex- like I was at, at least level yeah. and, and or exceeding catches and hits on fly. I'd love to say you're talking shit, but you're not. Like I, I it blew my mind seeing how effective it was. Yeah. And like I'm, I'm not like I am by no means the world's best fly fisherman or the most skilled fly fisherman. But yeah, I was the most memorable thing was that it was, I would say on average, probably more effective than Lewis. Yeah. It's just a presentation they haven't seen before. Like we were saying earlier, it's very natural, very new for the fish and effective. <laughs> like yeah. not, you, can't, you can't put it any other way. So yeah. It, blew my, it blew my mind to see it, but say, I'd say, like, one of those sessions, I reckon we had 20 hits each. Yeah. And I, was scratching, I was scratching my head thinking, like, I think you probably had more. You would have had more hits that session, hands down. Yeah, well, the cool I thing... I converted more with a few extra triples hanging off a lure, but... Yeah, well, the cool thing about that was, is size-wise, like we said before, I was definitely encountering larger fish or what would presume to be larger fish. But at the same time, you would fish water and I'd cast flies behind you and I'd get it, get, get hits it. and I'd get hits on previously fish waters. Yeah. So I think that speaks volumes to sort of just using different things, whatever, regardless of what that is. But if I had to say one memorable thing, definitely my large fish, it was really trippy. Like obviously I'd had my large hits that session, but this fish, it was, it was, we were on our way back and it was pitch, pitch black like there was no moon so dark <laughs> and i was just popping this fly i had no idea where i was casting and then i'm just popping this fly strip 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 and then just kaboom jammed absolutely jammed and i'm on and then we go to get photos of it and then dill didn't really tell me that he didn't know how to use the camera and the photos turned out looking like a potato oh. like, like oh, i always oh, said at the end of that we were no, until I catch a larger fish and then you that'll be fine. Anyway, don't give a fuck. No. Not, <laughs> not at all. But yeah, I'd say that definitely sums up the most memorable stuff for me. But at least from that I definitely know how to use that particular camera now. Yeah, well that's right. I think after I'm, you release the fish. After, after <laughs> I release the fish. And not to mention you didn't even frame it well either, so it's not it's not that disappointing either. Ah, uh, it was early. <laughs> all right. Dill, take the next segment away.
season aspirations for this year. For me, pretty simple. Just get a bigger cod than I've ever caught before. <laughs> and I'll be stoked. But no, it's all seriousness. Like one technique I really, really want to have a good shot at is daytime frogging. So mm-hmm. skip casting, unweighted plastic frogs. I want to get a few of those mega bass ones. But even on like just simple G-lock hooks with say Xenan, what is it? Finesse frogs and stuff. So keen for that. I think just skipping them under, skip casting them under willows to the backs of root balls, just in the tight back undercut shadows and whatever it might be in the middle of the day. That's something I really want to nail. And I'm just, I think I'm going to do a lot of sessions where that's all I take and that's all I do because I just want to get really proficient at it. I'm very, very confident at getting fish first light, last light through the, through the night, but I know those fish can be caught in the day and I want to catch them. I still want to get them on the surface. Like I can, I love still catching fish on spinnerbaits, but if I'm, if I'm targeting Murray Cod, I'm personally, it's all about that surface explosion. So there's going to be ways around it, but to get them in middle of the day and the sun's at its highest point, it's still warm. I'm all about that. You see, I love, especially on fly fishing, it's so much easier to get them on surface. So tug is the drug. Tug is thine drug. So, yeah, I really just love catch, catching them on subsurface like during the day, which is surprisingly effective as well. It is. But, yeah, I, 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 to be fair, I'm so keen to go and throw frogs with dill on bait casting gear as well. I really, really think it's such a cool and exciting way to fish for them and just pitching stuff deep, deep, deep into tiger country. Really cool way of fishing. So I'm super keen to go throw um, throw those frogs as well. And I'd be able to, is it the Z-Man hard legs frogs? Hard like hard, 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 hard legs frogs. Sorry, I just had a massive sneeze before. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hay fever has been rampant. Um okay. But yeah, though, like, I'm, yeah, I'm super keen to throw that sort of stuff and then also more your hollow-bodied style stuff as well. But I'm also really keen to try and design some flyers that can replicate that as well. So I've seen a few things out there as well, so I'm really keen to try that. Design a cast that can replicate that cast, skip cast. Yeah, well, it's not, no, too, it's not too bad. It's fly design that really inhibits the ability to skip cast stuff. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, like, yeah, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, but for me, yeah, like Dill said, really large fish. Um, and I obviously want to try and get a significantly large fish on fly. Now, in my head, I would say I think the Murray <laughs> is actually not going to be a horrible idea to try and catch a large Murray caught on fly. It's going to be Murray in winter, so. Nothing really to do with traditional clear water cod, but no. So it'll be large, large water stuff. But I think if I go throw a lot of large, like the larger surface stuff that I can throw on fly, it'll happen. I stand a chance of encountering one of these larger Murray cod on fly, and I just want one. That'll be there, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of time. And considering Dylan and I don't have boats. There's going to be a hell of a lot of peddling as well up that Murray. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my goal. You can go alone. That, it's, it, yeah. that, that <laughs> trip, I suspect it's going to be a significant number of trips. Dozens of trips. But it just takes one fish to, it's going to take a hell of a lot to have the mental fortitude to keep. Well, you only have to land one, then you never have to do it again. 
So. No, that's right. I just have to land one, so I've done it. And hopefully I'll land on the first trip. <laughs> but um, if so not... So many people hate you. Oh, so, so much hate. Ooh, could but you imagine oh, box after that? Oh, I just hope, yeah. You're like your 57-centimetre bass for your second-ever bass, you bastard. It was fourth-ever bass. Fourth bass. Oh, that makes it so much better. I know, pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, What's your biggest bass deal? I don't even know. I don't think I've even measured it. Probably around 45. I've, I haven't caught. I've caught maybe a couple of dozen, if that. So, what you say? A couple of dozen of bass, or a couple of dozen of large bass? Bass in general, hmm. but Fair most enough. of them all been like between thirty and like forty-two or something. Nothing big. Hopefully, you can change that this weekend coming up. I but anyway, I will. I think that yeah, I think that really sums up our season aspirations. And if it's not a meter fish on fly. It's just, yeah, get upgrading the size of our flies. I mean, upgrading the, size, yeah, upgrading the size of our flies. I definitely want to upgrade the size of my flies. No. There you go. Yeah, upgrading the size of our cod that we no, want. You have to leave your bedroom to achieve your season goal. No, I actually have to walk <laughs> I have to actually have to walk out into a different room in my house. I can't be that hermit anymore inside my room. But, so yeah. Nice. Yeah, getting larger fish. And I also just want to go fish and stack more waterways as well. Like we we generally fish, we only fish a couple of waterways. So I just want to go explore a heap more of um, our areas. And then I obviously, like we're obviously in Victoria, but um, I want to go explore a heap of stuff over in New South Wales if we can, if if things, obviously the borders are opening up, which is fantastic. But yeah, I'd really like to go do, do some stuff in New South Wales. It's kind of the home of the Murray Cod on fly for me. So I'd like to go up there and pay a bit of a homage to those who have sort of, created that area of fly fishing so i'd really like to go up there and do some stuff and yeah just fly fish and cod fish more around victoria as well heaps cool heaps cool spots so much but i guess well that probably wraps it up for today i reckon mitch so everyone asked for it and here you go murray cod clearwater cod we've taken our spin on it so hopefully there was some fresh info like we know this we know this species been, has been done to death on socials in the last couple of years, but I guess every time it's talked about, something new is added to the conversation. So, and and to be fair, is that lead up for cod opening as well? So it's pretty exciting. I know that I'm like I've been itching at the bit for the last two months, um, well, but that's probably also because I haven't targeted them since like February or March, whenever it was the last time I got out as well. So. It's been a it's been a hot minute. It's been a while. Um, it's been a ride, twenty twenty, in terms of the old cod fishing and getting out there and actually being able to go and target these fish. So it's it's going to be really nice to see people enjoying their time out in the water, actually getting to go fishing now. Um, once this podcast is released, um, there's only it, this will be released at what midnight on mm-hmm. Sunday the eighth, and then at eleven fifty nine on Sunday the eighth. I'm pretty sure you're allowed to get out of there, out of here to do that, yeah. Yeah, so I've taken the week off work and I'll be heading east. So I've got some serious casting to catch up on. Yeah, I, I unfortunately, as much as I've taken time off, not time, as much as I've taken work away from the equation, it does already seem to just be piling up again. So I'm going to get very busy into the whole November, December, January period. So unfortunately, I can't go on this trip with Dill. But we want soon. Yeah, we're we're gonna get there eventually. We can't stay away from each other forever. No, 
But it's been good. Like, lately I've finally been able to get out. Like, Aaron and I have been getting on some good Melbourne snapper, big numbers of good fish on plastics. So that's been fun. But I'm just just craving just estuary stuff. Jerkbait brim, surface EPs, just the simple stuff that I've done for years. It's, it's funny what you're really missing COVID. Like, I thought I'd be tearing my hair out not being able to cast stick baits at Kings and Tuna and stuff. But I don't know. I think it's... It's the estuaries that are really calling me hard at the minute, just light tackle fun. So it's going to be good to get back on it. Yeah, well, that was the same with me. Obviously, like for those who've been checking out our social medias and stuff on on the cast media and stuff on Instagram, I got away for a really nice trip over east, which was really cool. Got my 57-centimeter bass, awesome, but we also got smoked a stack. I got some really nice estuary perch as well. Up into that 49 centimetre was the largest one that we measured, but we definitely had a few fish that would be pushing that and or exceeding that 50 centimetre range as well. We got some nice brim and we got a few flatties as well, which was really cool. And it was just fantastic to be away. So I can only imagine that anyone listening to this is in that same boat as well and is just going to be super, super ecstatic to go and get away. And if you are going and getting away, tag us in some photos. We just want to see what you guys are getting up to. Like sometimes we miss some stuff filtering through social media we don't get to see everything but yeah tag us in some photos we can't wait to see what you guys um what you guys are catching we love it yeah like we've had a f- plenty of followers getting you know, the, what we've seen a lot of bass a lot of yellow belly obviously the last sort of month a few eps everyone seems to be getting on some good fish so it's always nice to see and especially as always if this podcast helps you get some cod come december tag us tell us what worked Tell us what did, but you gave it a shot. Tell us your theories. We're, we're all ears. We love talking fishing. So, yeah, th- fishing theories are definitely even if even if they're some of the old um, tin hat kind of style stuff. Definitely interested in, uh, the, into into listening to them because everything has merit in some level, or it's just crazy. And you cannot wait to talk about that. <laughs> or it's just a good laugh. Yeah, or it's just a good laugh. <laughs> but yeah. Ta- yeah, definitely tags in your photos. And if you enjoy this, like we always say, screenshot it, share it around your social media. We just want people to get hyped off about cod season. I already imagine that people are. I couldn't imagine that people aren't excited about this. And Dill, where can they find us on social media? So on the cast media, we'll lead you to our Instagram. So at on the cast media. And that's on the cast media for Facebook. I don't think we've been too active on there yet, but people are certainly finding us. So keep liking everyone. Thank you. Keep liking it. We're going to put some stuff up there eventually. We'll, we'll even get a profile picture soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you find on the cast media on Facebook, it's just, and it's just got an O for the profile. I've been we trying to yeah i've been trying to get dill to sort it out because i thought it might just be my phone but i don't get why we can't fix it shit but we'll get there or uh, and for all you old fossils out there on the cast media at gmail.com flick us an email if you so wish but easiest that we're going to get back to you quickly instagram that's by far the most popular platform to get us on yeah slide in slide deep into our DMs. Yeah. <laughs> if you go too deep, you'll end up in our request folder. But we <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't we don't che- we don't check the request folder. If you end up in primary, you're doing good. If you end up in general, well, it's a bit clutching straws as to whether or not we see you or not. <laughs> but we get. It.
But anyway, I guess that sums up Clearwater Cod. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you all next time. So catch you later, Rich. All right. Well, I'll see you later, Joanne. Hopefully I'll see you soon anyway. Ah, you will. All right. Good, good, luck, good luck on the fishing, mate.